One of the lessons I've learned in martial arts is that standing still is asking to be hit. If you stand still in business, your competition is going to catch up. I start each morning practicing martial arts because it brings me balance and focus. And I want to know how others stay motivated as well. So join me for conversations on business, innovation, and entrepreneurship. I'm Dan Schulman. Welcome to Never Stand Still. On today's episode of Never Stand Still, I'm joined by Josh Silverman, the CEO of Etsy. As an experienced entrepreneur and consumer technology expert, Josh established a name for himself as the co-founder and CEO of the popular social event planning site, Evite. Following the success of his first venture, Josh has gone on to lead as a top executive at eBay, American Express, and Skype, and where at Skype, he attracted 300 million new users, doubled revenues, and tripled profits. Not too bad, actually. Uh, as the CEO of Etsy, Josh is using his many experiences to carve out a unique space for the company in the competitive world of e-commerce. And I'm thrilled to have Josh here. Josh, welcome to Never Stand Still. Great to be here. Great to see you again. So Josh and I have known each other for a long time, and uh, we've both been looking forward to this conversation. So Josh, let's start off with uh, maybe a little bit about your background. Um, in a lot of ways, we have similar backgrounds. We're both uh, liberal arts majors, which is a rare thing uh, in business. Um, I even think you were a theater major. Is that right? I tried to be a theater major, and, then you and changed. I just wasn't good enough as an actor. <laughs> I was going to so. ask you to sort of uh, give us an example of that. But um, um, And then you went to Brown, and then you went to Stanford for your MBA. I think you were class president there. I think I would have been rejected from both of those schools, by the way. Um, but I'd love to understand, and I'm sure our audience would, this uh, sort of liberal arts and then moving into the business world. How do you think that background helped to shape your career path? Yeah. So um, I did start as a theater major and I just wasn't good enough. So I am where I am in part because I was such a, 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 an untalented actor. Right. Uh, I ended up in public policy and I went in my first job out of college. I worked for Bill Bradley, who was a senator from New Jersey yeah. at the time. Great and I spent, guy. He was a great guy. He yeah. is a great guy. Yeah. Spent a couple of years working for him, which was a great privilege. And a couple of things about that. One, you know, for me, a, sort of a through line of my whole career is just where do I think I can have a positive impact? And I, I thought at the time that government was a place to do that. Mm -hmm. And for me, I, I ended up finding that I could have more impact in the private sector. But one of the things that really taught me was, you know, when you're preparing a, a senator for something, uh, you've got to boil down any issue national health reform, budget deficits to one page. Yep. What's the core issue? What's the pro? What's the con? And what's your recommendation? And that ability to take anything, no matter how complex, and get to the main, main thing, I have found to serve me really well in life. So it was, it was really great training. Yeah. I find the same thing as a, I, I don't really look for specialists uh, per se. Sometimes on the engineering side, maybe, or on product side. But in general, I think the higher up you go uh, inside a organization, whether it's on the nonprofit side or the for-profit side, 
being able to think about the issues, distill the issues, and then communicate and inspire is, you know, our job, really. So much of the job, I agree. The theater arts piece comes in because the ability to communicate well (laughs) turns out to matter. When young people ask what they should do, when they ask for my advice coming out of school, if they're not technical, I'll often recommend to go into sales. Yeah. Because if you want to be a leader, you're always selling. You're selling employees on why they should come join you. You're selling the press on why they should cover you. You're selling customers on why they should believe in you and buy your product. Part of the job is the ability to communicate and be persuasive. Yeah. Um, A good friend of mine, John Thompson, who's now the uh, uh, chairman uh, at Microsoft, when he was the CEO of Symantec, he always used to call himself the chief salesperson. Um, because of exactly that. He was always selling something, whether it was to customers, but definitely inside the company as well. So you've had a a long, uh, varied career path, and we'll talk a little bit about that uh, later. But what was it that attracted you to Etsy? Um, And, you know, I know Etsy's been going through some changes. What were some of the biggest challenges you faced when you took over as CEO? Yeah. So, you know, um, after American Express, I took some time to really be patient and picky because I feel like I'm in my prime. And the the thing I was solving for is, will my kids be really proud of me? I want this to be my keystone thing. And I'm blessed to have choice in life. And so I want that they will really look back and say, I'm really proud of my father for this. Etsy has an amazing mission. And we do something that I think is really important in the world. So in a world where automation is changing the nature of work and, you know, changing the lives of so Mm -hmm. many people, creativity can't be automated. And so for 2 million people, we allow them to take their creativity and turn it into economic opportunity. And I think that's an incredibly important mission. And I think it's more relevant today than it's ever been. We have lightning in a bottle. We have a two-sided marketplace yes. at scale, yeah. buyers and sellers. That almost I'm never familiar happens. with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of amazing, yeah. right? Um, and it's an asset that I think um, we could have been doing more for. We, we could we could be doing more with our sellers to help them to scale and succeed. And so I thought it was an incredible opportunity, and I'm really privileged and uh, uh, feel grateful yeah. to have the chance to come and, and lead the company. The second part of your question, what were the biggest challenges? Yeah, exactly. Because I know you went through sort of a reassessment of the model of kind of what you were standing for, how to how to really think about the company and its place in the world. Um, so maybe you can tell a little bit about that. Yeah, it was a very difficult time when I came in and yep. my team um, and I went through a lot together uh, over the past year. But I think philosophically the biggest um, idea I brought to the company was that the marketplace, the core Etsy marketplace, was at the very early stages of growth, not at the late stages of growth. Mm -hmm. We were doing about $3 billion of sales, which in the world of e-commerce, I still think is relatively small compared to the opportunity. Our sellers sell 50 million products that are amazing and are relevant so often. And so we could be much, much bigger than $3 billion. So that belief, well, if you think that the marketplace is at the beginning stages, um, I asked the team, what are the fewest things we need to do well in order to grow this marketplace, in order to accelerate growth? And the challenge that we had been facing was that growth was slowing. Every quarter it slowed. Mm -hmm. And 
So the, the quarter that I joined, our sales, gross merchandise sales, yeah. grew by only 11%. And so in my first week, we inventoried everything we were doing at the company. And there were about 800 product initiatives in the pipeline or marketing initiatives in the pipeline. How many? 800. 800. For the That's company. We were spread yeah. a mile wide and an inch deep. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I asked how many of these are going to materially impact growth of our sales over the next 18 to 24 months. Mm -hmm. And it turned out a relatively small subset uh, were going to do that. So we stopped doing everything else. And that was hard. Um, we had about 150 people who'd worked for maybe 18 months to build something called Etsy Studio, which was a good idea. Um, and it launched on Thursday. I started on Tuesday, and we re redirected 146 of those employees off that project on Friday. Wow. We were launching in a bunch of new international markets. We stopped that. We, we you know, project after project, hundreds of projects. We and what stopped. was the fallout of that inside the company? Were people like, who is this guy, Josh Silverman, and why is he doing this? Did, like, how long did it take you to get the company to rally behind you in, in what you were doing? Because obviously the results today prove out, but you know, that's like looking back, people don't know that when they start off. So what was, what was that like inside the company it at was that really time? Hard. It was really hard. You yeah. know, many of the employees, most of the employees were in new jobs within weeks of yeah. me starting. Um, so we moved a tremendous amount of cheese. Many of them said, this is terrific because I'm really glad we're focusing on doing fewer things better. But for a lot of them, it's a lot of change. Yeah. Um, and what I said then was we are doing this in order to accelerate growth and in order to serve our stakeholders better, primarily our sellers. Mm -hmm. And it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to prove it and live it. So to your question of how long it took, I'd say it took the better part of a year. Yeah. Um, it took the better part of a year. Morale was hit pretty hard. We had a lot of attrition, but um, I kept saying to my team, they'll love us when we win. And when we prove that what we're saying translates to action. So I said, we're doing this to go faster and execute better. It happens that we're going to save money and cut costs, but this yeah. is not a cost-cutting exercise. Yeah. Um, we, within four months, had more than doubled the velocity of our product process. So we were shipping two and a half times more product. And we were growing faster. So last quarter, we grew almost 20% yeah. versus 11% yeah. four quarters before. So the team is seeing that. They're seeing that they're, and they're hearing the positive uh, That's feedback. That's got to be incredibly those. helpful, too. I mean, it, it, it always is sort of like if you can get that first success, then it makes things easier. Absolutely. And it's fortunate that you had a couple of those. Because it is. And, you know, your word fortunate is right. I mean, there's, uh, I think, a lot of focus and great execution from the team who worked really hard. And there's some good luck yeah. along the way, too. Um, yeah. And, and that, that definitely plays a role. Yeah. And did you change your business model along the way as well? I, I remember reading, I think, some things about that in the New York Times article yeah. that came out, um, which I think really did a great job on looking at the totality of all you were tackling. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the 
We didn't change the business model. The business model is the same. I would say the difference is that we've really focused in on, on our core marketplace business yep. and are putting a lot less attention on extensions, new, brand new businesses we could get into. Because to me, any investment in a brand new business usually pales in comparison with just putting that energy against our core business, yep. where I think there's still so much potential. But... Um, I think the, the, the big question that the team had and that, that I have a passionate point of view about was we want to be both a great citizen and a great business. And I believe that Etsy's business model is one where those two are completely joined up. We can be a great citizen and we can be a great business. And I think Etsy's intentions have always been outstanding. Yeah. What we've done is really worked hard to tie our intentions to outcomes and focus on outcomes. Yeah. And so we've picked three areas where we believe we can have big impact on our community. It's economic empowerment, diversity, and the environment. Economic empowerment, two million sellers who count on us every single day yeah. to help them grow their sales. And you know what? They don't get to have bad days and, and just, you know, miss targets. And, yeah. you know, they've got to deliver for their, their customers whole life every is single on it. Yeah. day. Yeah. It really makes a difference yeah. to them. And so they deserve that we show up with the same level of intensity and focus on serving our customers. I believe we can do that best when we have a workforce that is really diverse. And we really focus on that. And the team has always focused on that. Our focus now is, I think, um, uh, even stronger. Um, so over half of the leaders of the company are female. Over half of the company is female. Two-thirds of the senior executive team is female. Half the board is female. 32% um, of our engineering team is, is female. We're working really hard on other forms of diversity yep. as well. Yep. Um, I think that all of that matters um, in order to us, for us to make great decisions, be innovative, and have a lot of empathy for the wide range of customers that we intend to serve. And the environment, we think we can achieve our mission with minimal or no impact on, on our environment, negative impact, so zero carbon footprint. And we've set ambitious goals around achieving those and we're measuring and holding ourselves accountable to making steady progress, which we are. So, um, Josh, I, I have to say, I love all that stuff. I mean, it's where we're such kindred spirits. I mean, we believe in the same things that we have an obligation for our businesses to be forces for good. Um, and we're fortunate to be both in roles where our businesses actually can make a difference uh, in the world. Not everybody yeah. has that yeah. uh, opportunity to go and do that. But um, yeah, I love hearing what you're saying about those. And it has to inspire everyone at Etsy as well. When they see us living it, yep. when they see us holding ourselves accountable to it, putting up metrics and demonstrating that we are investing in it and serious about not just wanting to get better, but holding ourselves accountable to get better, I think that's when people see that it's authentic. Yep. And since I've known you, you have been authentically passionate about economic empowerment and you know the underbanked, yep. and you've committed you know, significant yeah. parts of your career to that in diversity. And, and I know those are very deeply held values for you too. And I've seen you walk the walk yeah. on that. And I'm sure your team really feels it. I'm sure it makes a difference. In a world where our politics is so fraught, 
we need our corporate leaders to be able to step up and to demonstrate. And so that's where I think for Etsy, our individual mission is, is really important. But I also think showing that you can be a great business and a great citizen at the same time is critical. In order to do that, we have to hold ourselves to a higher standard of execution. Yep. Being a good citizen does not let us off the hook one bit on our financial nope. results. As soon as you say, well, we're not going to deliver good financial results because we're very focused on corporate citizenship, that's where you lose. And I don't think we need to, you know, fortunately with our business model, with your business model, we don't need to do that. I totally agree. I don't think, I've, I say this frequently because I always talk about, you know, our mission and our vision and our values, and we're trying to do uh, the right thing in the world, drive financial health, focus on the underserved uh, communities. And I would say that there's no dichotomy between creating great shareholder value and serving um, uh, the segments of the population that you know need us most in the, with the best value. There's no disconnect on that. In fact, if you really are a customer champion, if you understand those segments, you can create value where no one else yeah. can do that and actually drive incremental shareholder value. I don't, I don't think there's a dichotomy at all, and I'm a big believer in that as well. So, Justin, we can uh, move to, because you've had such a, a long, impressive career, um, starting off as an entrepreneur, working in larger, incredibly well-known brands. I think even at one time, uh, a couple of years ago, TechCrunch nominated as one of the CEOs of the year um, for what you uh, were doing. So most people would look at you and say, you know, wow, what a great career. It's just been straight up and to the right. Um, but you and I both know, in a long career, that never, ever yeah. happens. Is there a moment that you can think of in your career or an event that you feel either defined your career uh, or changed your trajectory in some way? Yeah, gosh, a lot. And to your point, in, in every chapter of my yeah. <laughs> uh, career, there were days that looked really dark and yeah. really hard. Yeah. And, you know, our families have been there with us and yeah. have lived that. And, and not a lot of other people always get to see it. Um, I can think of a bunch. Let's see. So, you know, kind of what made me at, um, at eBay when I joined eBay um, I was sent to the Netherlands to go see what we could do to fix the Netherlands, and um, which wasn't performing very well. And I discovered a, an online classified business that was competing with, with us and beating us. And um, at the time, eBay believed that classifieds as a model didn't work. And so my team and I did some scrappy research and demonstrated that if you were a buyer or seller in the Netherlands, you should almost always choose Mark Plotz, this classified site, mm -hmm. instead of eBay. It served its customers better than we did, which was a big eye-opening moment. And Meg, to her credit, Meg Whitman was the CEO at the yep. time, said, okay, I've seen the data. I believe you. We should be big in classifieds. Josh, go buy that Mark Plotz company for whatever it costs. So we went out and we bought that company, and it turned out it cost a lot. We paid 290 million euros for a business that had 10 million euros of revenue, 5 million euros of profit. <laughs> it was expensive. In fact, yeah. it was the biggest acquisition that had been done in the Netherlands. And within months, what that did was it, it taught the, the leading publishing company in the Netherlands that they had really missed out. 
and that they should be much bigger in classifieds because publishing companies made, at the time, most of their money in classifieds. Anyway, what we faced then was this incredible assault from this massive media company in the Netherlands, which launched its own classifieds business mm -hmm. that looked just like ours but better. It had no fees. It had a better product, in my opinion. And then every unsold TV spot they had, every unsold radio spot they had, every unsold print ad they had focused on their site. Yeah. And they launched with a million live listings because they took every listing they had. Anyway, it was a very serious threat. And um, they were very dark days for me. I flew back to San Jose. I was living in the Netherlands. I flew back to San Jose, and I had to show Meg, remember that company that I convinced us to buy that, you know, we paid all that money for, well, we're growing at this trajectory and our competitor is growing at this trajectory. Yeah. And as you know, in a two-sided marketplace, you're either the biggest or you've lost. Yep. And so we were about six months away from losing. And um, I, I was uh, really concerned. And I had to go tell her this is what's happened. And then on the flight on the way home, I just thought to myself, okay, these are the moments that matter. And I wrote down on a sheet of paper, these are the seven metrics that will define success. And I landed in Amsterdam on a Sunday. I called my team together on Monday morning and I pulled my team together and I said, I know we've had a lot of conversations about role responsibility and career development. We went, none of that matters. <laughs> None of that matters right now. The next year yeah. will define for, for many of us, um, you know, a, a moment in our life that's going to really matter. Yeah. So, you know, Dennis, you own this, uh, and, and Susan, you own that, and Mary, you own that metric. I gave each, each leader a metric, and I said, you've got a week. Come back to me with your plan for how you're going to, you know, radically improve the business. And the team did an amazing, we, so we reorganized the entire company, got laser focused on a few things. Yeah. And um, the team did an amazing job of innovating. And we challenged ourselves and particularly all of the sacred cows. Yeah. All of the things that were so important to get the business to where it was today, we challenged. And many of those things we actually left behind and did something completely new. And... Um, the business uh, dramatically off. accelerated yeah. growth. Things worked out great. Um, and it was the proudest time. And it, it, going from the darkest time and the most competitive time became probably the prou proudest time of my career. And the people on that team have gone on to huge jobs. Uh, yeah. One of them runs a $50 billion uh, uh, company, now publicly traded company. Another one has been the head of SEO at some of the biggest brands in the world. So they've gone on to amazing things. And I think for everyone on the team, that was kind of yeah. a defining moment. It's two interesting uh, thoughts come to mind. One is, it looks like you took that almost exact experience and applied it to Etsy. If you think about it, here are the key things that matter. Yeah. Nothing else matters. Let's focus on that yeah. and deliver. And then the other thing that I think is really important for people to understand is when you're going through very difficult times, it's when leadership matters the most and if you can work your way through that, it becomes a defining moment and a thing you look back on yeah. on your career all the time. I, I had that same thing with Virgin Mobile where yeah. it was just fighting off one disaster after another. But that experience bonded our teams together. And, you know, we still get together, Virgin Mobile employees, yeah. to like talk about and reminisce about all the things we went through. 
So let me uh, end um, this interview, which, by the way, I so appreciate your time. It's been great. Um, with one um, last question. So uh, the name of this program is Never Stand Stone. What it comes from is um, uh, a lesson I learn almost every morning uh, when I'm doing either Krav or boxing, which is the moment you stand still in front of an opponent or something, you get hit. Um, and so my instructor always says, don't stand still. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I remember, now I remember. But it's painful to remember because you often get reminded of it. So as you look through your career, I think it'd be really interesting for people listening and watching uh, right now, like, when was a time that you got hit in your career and got knocked down? And how did you manage to like get back up and, and keep moving forward? Because I think that that's the secret to, yeah. to all success. Do you mind talking about something like that? Such a great question and such yeah. a good metaphor. You know, lots and lots of times yeah. along the way. But I think it was a lesson I learned kind of early. Um, so in high school, uh, I was at a traditional uh, public school in, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and really bored and acting out in school and not performing very well. I remember myself as a B student, and my dad recently sent me my high school transcripts as he was clearing <laughs> out his stuff, and I was giving myself way too much credit. I was a C-plus student, uh, and because I just, I just struggled inside the structure of, of, of the school. And there was a, a non-traditional public school that was really set up as a school of last resort for kids that were really struggling. Um, and they had a jazz program. And so I went over there to register just for jazz. And the school was so radically different than the traditional school I was in. Um, I remember when you sign up at that school, uh, you know, at the traditional public school, you filled out a punch card with your top 28 yeah. choices, and they told you these are the seven classes. You know, I walk into the cafeteria, and every teacher is sitting at a card table, and I walked up to Mike Meridian, and he said, hi, I'm Mike, not Mr. Meridian. Yeah. And I said, what do you teach? And he said, I teach science, and at 2 o'clock, I'm thinking I might teach a chemistry class, but I don't know, some of the kids want to do 1 o'clock, and they want to do that. You know, what works for you? And I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And I immediately transferred all of my classes there. And um, it was the kind of school that, candidly, if you were reasonably successful kid doing well, well yeah. enough, it wasn't socially okay yeah. to go to that school. Uh, 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 it was an amazing choice for me, and it totally changed my trajectory. And um, uh, a couple of, you know, I ended up getting into, you know, Brown, as you mentioned, only because Brown had never seen a kid from right. this school. You know, most of the kids from the school didn't apply to college, much less Ivy League schools. It was a very unusual uh, place to come from, and I had created some unusual thing. I was on the road 80% of the time, actually, um, in my senior year, because I was playing jazz uh, on the road. And the chance to just go follow a passion and do something that feels right to you, mm -hmm. particularly if it's not what everyone else is doing, yeah. um, uh, rarely serves you wrong. I have I, I found it really served me wrong. But the other thing about that, it was a school that had very, very little structure. You basically had to pass what the state of Michigan required as competency exams. And however you got there, if you could do it, you could pass. And what I find is school presents you, you know, in the American system typically with all the information you need and then a set of questions. Yeah. And then you get out of school and it looks nothing like that. 
No one's defining the questions for you. Yep. You don't have all the information you need, and you don't even know what subset of the information you have. And you've got to just go and figure it out. And so having opportunities to go in much less structured environments and define your own path, I, for me, was, was very important. Yeah, that's great. Well, Josh, I want to thank you uh, again for the time. It's so nice to see you. And uh, good luck at everything you're doing. And that's it. And likewise, great thank to see you. Yeah.